You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanishevsky. Hey, everybody. Come on in. Thanks for joining us. This is the Oh Come On Sports Podcast. Uh, it is uh, American Thanksgiving this week, this weekend. I don't know if that means anything to you, uh, those of you listening out there. It means a lot of football is the biggest thing. A uh, ton of football on Thursday. Al, you're uh, you're not Black Friday shopping? You're not? Uh, uh, well, I was going to say, that is kind of... For me, that's the association with American Thanksgiving is Black Friday shopping. And I remember like, I remember being, uh, you know, in my 20s and late 20s, early 30s. And we used to drive to, you know, drive to Buffalo on Black Friday morning and leave at like, you know, five in the morning. A hundred percent. It was, it was actually a lot of fun. Just the whole experience of it. Uh, And it's obviously changed a lot since then. But no, I am not Black Friday shopping at all. But like you, uh, for me, Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. is about American football. It was a... a full slate of, of NFL yesterday, which is always nice midweek. But let me ask you this. It is a full slate. Did you watch the Lions and Bears game? I was able to barely stay awake through that game, just barely. And I look, I was excited about football all day. I had the uh, the nice surprise at about 10 o'clock of realizing that, hey, NFL countdown is on. There's football today. So I was very excited. Right. Uh, first game started, and man, it was rough to watch. That was they're they're just some bad teams, aren't they? Holy! Well, it's it's kind of that like that. It's so bad, it's entertaining sort of thing. I think is how that game goes, right? People are just fed up yeah. that the Lions have to be in it every single year, and yet somehow it's just tradition. And I feel like I feel like people might actually miss it if the Lions weren't in it every single year. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that game, I mean, I just, Dan Campbell, I, um, seems like a good dude. And I just, I don't know. What you gotta feel for it. You gotta feel for the guy. You gotta feel for him. You gotta feel for him a little bit. Do you, are you, do you, do you, do you root for the lions? Are you like, okay, the guy just well, got to get a win. Cause they've had so many close opportunities, right? They've had a few yeah. that they could have won that they've just lost by a field goal in overtime or whatever it is. Do you root for them as the underdogs? Or are you just like, I, man, these lions are just. I don't remember if I had told you this story or not. I thought I did. When I first went to the TSN, when I first um, got hired over there, I they sent me to Detroit to cover the Lions um, in my first or second year, just for one game. Yeah. And so that was the first NFL team that I had covered. Like being in Edmonton, I never really, obviously I never, I didn't really go to games. I wasn't following the teams that much, or I wasn't actually at the games, like interviewing players. Anyways, they sent me to Detroit for practice. So Matt Stafford was there. Um, that was when Megatron was around. So I was wow. in the scrum. It was very exciting. And so I mostly followed the CFL at that point. But when I went to TSN, I was like, oh boy, I better get into the NFL a little bit, obviously, because it's huge. And so I just mm-hmm. picked the Lions because I'm like, I need to get invested. So I'll just pick a team to help me like get into it. And because I went to practice, I was like, what the hell? Pick Detroit. So I did cheer for them. For what a, a while. bad pick. What a bad pick but, that was, man. <laughs> what a terrible pick. But I think they did make the playoffs that year. Otherwise, I'm trying to remember why I was at practice. I think that's why they sent me. is because they actually <laughs> made the playoffs or they were playing well at the time. But uh, so to answer your question, I don't, I mean, I don't cheer for them like I used to. But yes, I always, uh, I do cheer for the underdogs, which... I don't know if you can think of a bigger underdog in the NFL right now than the Lions. So it would have been nice to see them get one win. Um, man, it is bleak. It is bleak over there. It, 
it, it's just a bleak. I mean, it's, it's it's a bit of a bleak sports city, isn't it? Right. I mean, they're just yes. Like the the Lions are just uh, are not so good. The Red Wings, I mean, aren't you know aren't necessarily great. And the Pistons are always just you know kind of middle of the road, eighth and yeah. ninth in the East. It's yeah, it's a it's a rough city. Yeah. Well, it is what it is, I guess. For uh, poor Lions, they lose again. And then the game after that, uh, I thought was I thought was really good. So you and I bet on the Cowboys and the Chiefs last week. So it was. Uh, Cowboys and Raiders yesterday, but we'll go back to our other bet. I lost yes. again, and I'm really starting to lose quickly or learn quickly. I don't know why. I don't think I should ever be betting on the Cowboys ever. Like, ever, ever. Yeah. Why am I ever losing the Cowboys? I, I, I have all these friend, Dallas friends, and I see their hearts broken time after time after time. And here I am picking the Cowboys. So I don't think I'm going to pick the Cowboys ever again. You're just an emotional uh, kind of uh, an emotional picker, as it were. But that, but that well, game was surprising last week. The one that that you know the Chiefs and the Cowboys. I mean, I don't think anybody expected the Chiefs to. Oh, sorry, the Cowboys to look that bad on offense. Right? Right. They were they were painful on offense. I actually oh. had made a wager in that game. I had the over and fifty five. And about three minutes into that game, I'm thinking this offense looks horrible. So I absolutely had lost that bet myself. But um, I don't blame you because they have been one of the best offenses in the league. You know, in the first eight games, but. I don't know. It seemed. I have a couple of Cowboys fans, friends as well, and yeah. man, it's just an eternal story of heartbreak and misery, and right. So I, I would agree. It's it's probably best to put your money, put your money somewhere else potentially than the Cowboys. They just can't seem to uh, you know to have any consistency whatsoever. Well, and then yesterday too, the, the game against the Raiders, uh, great game, and great game. But you know they couldn't. They couldn't pull it out. They were right there. I mean, they played. Well, I mean, how many penalties did they have? Right. I mean, I, I can't. And listen, did, did did you did you watch? Did you see that last the overtime play where they got the pass interference? I did. Listen, that's a horrible. In my opinion, again, as yes. a, as a layman sitting here on the couch watching a game that's been amazing and it is you know in overtime and it's been exciting to have the play. Oh, the whole game decided on that kind of pass interference. That one dude had four penalties for 109 yards or something, right? So, I mean, yes. like, that's... <laughs> it was a lot more than that one play that went into them losing that game. Well, that's just it. You can complain about the officiating, and I know Jerry Jones made a comment after, and I don't know if he's he's wrong necessarily. I don't disagree with him, but you can't you can't let it come to that. Like, you're just playing with fire when you let it come to that, right? But um, great game overall. I really enjoyed that one, and I think the last one I enjoyed the best because I ended up betting my trainer we're back into the burpees betting and he let me take the bills which i was a little bit nervous (laughs) about because i again i don't know what the bills are either like they're up and down right and so okay i guess we'll take the bills but the uh the bet was 30 burpees for me if the bills lost 40 no no 40 for me if the bills lost and he took the saints and then he'd have to only do 30 did i explain that right you did absolutely. So yeah, you had a little bit right. So exactly, hundred percent. You you gave you a little bit of you gave him a little bit of odds in that. Uh, in right. that. that game was yeah. The Bills have been really uh, you know kind of inconsistent and all over the place. But that game was more about the, in my opinion, the uh, the Saints and you know Simeon playing quarterback and yeah. not having Camara and not, you know and they they just I mean similarly I had the under in that game as well and I thought that was going to be a uh, that was a predictable blowout I think by the. Uh, by the Bills, and they look good. Um, but next week, I think the Bills have the Patriots in the Monday Nighter next week uh, okay. in Buffalo, which is one of those games, right? Because I mean, that division is just so so tight, and I'm right. enjoying watching the Bills. So that's going to be for me must see TV 
next week. So we got about 10 days to wait until that, but it's going to be a, a great Monday night game. I think with the, the Patriots in Buffalo, hopefully there's some snow and it's a, a real yeah. kind of dis, you know December AFC East football game. And the Patriots are so intriguing now too, with Bill Belichick and they're just clicking along, clicking along nicely. So they we'll are. see where that one goes. So you're right. That is a good game to look ahead to you. Um, and that whole and division, I mean, that whole, divi- that whole division started to drop, but the whole division is wide open, right? So a team like the Patriots or, you know, a team like Tennessee or who don't necessarily look dominant right now, you get hot at the right or, or Buffalo for that matter. Um, you get hot at the right time in, uh, in, in, in the AFC. Uh, there's no dominant team. Kansas City doesn't look dominant. Baltimore doesn't look dominant, right? The Chargers right. don't look dominant. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of really good teams in the AFC, but no really great teams, I don't think, um, in the you AFC. Don't think, you don't think the Chiefs are coming on? They, I don't. I, I don't believe it yet. In a row, four in a win. Yeah, four in a row. I don't believe. I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it yet. Uh, just me. Okay. Just me, right? I don't believe it. Yet. I think they are. They are definitely cooking along, and I know. Uh, and I know they have looked really, really, really impressive over the last little bit. But uh, um, I, I think they still have a bit of a kryptonite on the defensive okay. side of the ball, right? So I think if you get a a good team like Tennessee who can pound, pound and pound, or Baltimore who can pound and pound the ball. I think they could. I think they're still potentially exposed. So I, I wouldn't pick them to come out of the AFC yet, but we'll see. Okay, fair enough. Yep. This week, um, Aaron Rodgers to me is just <laughs> more, and more of a dork or something. I, did he really have to put his toe on TV? I don't. Isn't that weird? Or is it just me? Like, I guess it's entertaining. Whatever I get, I get why he's doing it, but I find myself rolling my eyes a lot. You know, lately his behavior reminds me of my childhood uh, <laughs> watch, watching wrestling. You ever watch wrestling, right? And when, and, and when, and when, like the good guy would all of a sudden, you know, clothesline Hulk Hogan, he turned into the bad guy and slowly take on this new persona as a bit of yes. a, a bit of a bad guy. I feel like Aaron Rodgers is going through that metamorphosis or evolution right now until he's turning into a heel a little bit right turning into one of those guys that you kind of love to hate which which yeah i don't know maybe maybe it's not the worst thing in the world well i i don't know we'll see i mean they lost last week the packers did although they played uh they played well and they rarely yeah. lose two in a row so right. uh i don't know what we have here this week they're taking on the rams matthew stafford back at lambeau speaking of the lions where he uh he's he was 10 seasons with the Lions, so he's very familiar with playing at Lambeau Field. Uh, what do you think about this game? How uh, how are you leaning? Who's the favorite, well, first of all, to start with? Yeah, you know what? Well, that, that's what's interesting in this game, especially because as the line opened up, the Packers had opened up actually in some places as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, and that has switched now. And the Packers, uh, as of the most recent look, as I'm looking right now, are now a one and a half point underdog at some places. That line has shifted a good three points. Um, interesting. Interestingly enough, over the last, over the course of the week, and this is looking at a few different books right now, and it, it seems pretty consistent. So right now, the Packers are. It's pretty much a pick'em game. So this is no point spread. This is who do you like better in this game in the in, in the cold of Lambeau Field? Who do you, who would you pick in this game? Well, considering how I just um, <laughs> called Aaron Rodgers a dork. I am 100% going with the Rams in this game. And my uh, my former, the, the quarterback that I used to cheer for way back when I was an actual Lions fan. So I'm going with Stafford and the Rams. I'm going with Stafford and the Rams. I feel like I'm going to lose this. I don't know, but I just, I can't. 
I don't, I don't want to put my latte down on the Packers right now on Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> no. There are some interesting uh, what we'll call against the spread trends that would favor your decision. And they're really specific. You know, in football, you can find stats like that to support any argument you want. But for instance, yeah. the Rams are, are 4-0 against the spread in their last four games after allowing more than 150 yards rushing in the week before. Right. So they got, they got, they got torched last week on the ground. So, you know, and look, they have a a, kind of a very proud and stout defense. Right. So I think there's an expectation Uh that this may be a a bit more of a defensive struggle. Um, The Rams are five and oh against the spread in their last five games after scoring less than 15 points in their previous game. So again, this is a new, I know this is a new, a new offense because Stafford's there and these five and oh stats are, you know, are typically, you know, kind of going back over the last few seasons, but there are some very, uh, very interesting stats. I actually, I'm happily will take the Packers uh, at home in Lambeau Field against the West Coast team coming across the coming across okay. the uh, the country. Uh, so yes, first of all, I will take your bet um, for the pumpkin spice latte. Uh, but I also am intrigued by the by the total in this game, and you know because these are two fairly prolific offenses. But I don't know. I I think I'm going to have a lot of my money on the under in this game. I have to say those stats that you just said about the Rams are giving me much hope as weird as those are. Like you said, you can make up a stat up about anything, but uh, I'm going to be thinking about those heading into the weekend. Those make me feel better. Yeah. You know, and and they should, I think it's good. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a bit of a, a defensive battle, uh, but we'll see. I'll be watching intently because I need another pumpkin spice latte to be completely honest with you. And the over under is is where is, is that at, so it, no problem. So it opened at forty seven and has moved up to forty eight now. Um, forty eight so, points. Yeah, okay. so forty eight total points. So you know, like that, like a you know a twenty eight twenty game kind of thing, which you would expect with these two offenses wouldn't be tough to achieve. But again, I'm I'm thinking this is going to be a, in my square opinion this is going to be a a much more of a defensive battle um given the weather given the elements given you know the the strength of the two defenses um it'll be fun to watch though either way right okay yeah i'm i'm looking forward to this one rams and packers and aaron Rodgers toe um i should mention i want to mention our guest coming up in just a few minutes here a hockey legend, uh, Jaina Heffer, is coming on the pod. She nice. Played, uh, international hockey for 17 years. She has five Olympic medals, four of them gold. She's a seven-time world champion. Hockey Hall of Fame member. She was named to the Order of Canada. Like She is hockey royalty. So she is coming up in a few minutes. Um, she just had her jersey retired in Kingston, Ontario. She is doing a lot to uh, get the women's game back on track and get their professional league going. So um, very excited to talk to her. Uh, but before we do that, just your thoughts on uh, on your hockey team there, Al. The, the Leafs are rolling. They're on a nice little road trip. They just beat L.A., no problem. But I'm wondering, right. did they go out and party last night in L.A.? And it's tonight <laughs> a bit of a trap game against the San Jose Sharks. That's a that's a good question. You, you got to assume when you're in LA for the night, you're going to get well, out and have a little bit of fun, right? I mean, totally. And wasn't Beebs in the crowd yesterday? He and I, uh, Austin Matthews, best buds, besties. They like to get out and walk up to the UFC together. I've seen them there a few times. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, uh, it'll be interesting. It, it, it very well could be a trap game tonight, right? Those back to backs are, uh, especially those road back to backs, can be can be challenging. But no, they're playing. Look, they're playing really well. I think. I mean, like. Like every other Leaf fan in the world, this regular season is awesome. And if the playoffs started today, I'd be the happiest guy in the world. 
You know what I mean? But we're a quarter yeah. way into the season. I think they're what their penalty kill is in the top ten. Their power play is in the top ten. Like the story is good right now, but the, I mean, the problem's going to come up in March and in April when you know when. Uh, All right, so a quarter of the season in, uh, this is where we stand in the NHL. Your team is cruising along. My team is cruising along, but it is super early. So uh, I'm not too optimistic yet, but I like what I see. So we'll see where we go from here. Um, but let's bring in our guest. She is uh, standing by. I just went through her resume. Um, just a, a Canadian hockey legend, like I mentioned. Here she is, Jaina Heffert. Thank you so much for joining us. How's it going over there in Toronto today? It's great. It's great. We've got a cold day here, first day of what feels like winter, but uh, yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, we were saying uh, the weather in Canada right now, you do not know what you're going to get. It's nice and warm in Calgary, but I know everybody else is suffering. So I'm going to stop talking about how nice it's been in Calgary because I know people are jealous. So we won't go there too much. Um, I wanted to go, I wanted to start all the way at the beginning with you. Um, you're one of the most decorated athletes in Canada when it comes to hockey, but tell us how, tell us how you got into the sport. Well, I, I grew up in Kingston, Ontario and have an older brother who played hockey two and a half years older than me. So I think from a very young age, I was just grew up in this family that loved hockey. My dad was an avid player and, and fan. And uh, my mom was not so much a hockey player, but she was involved in sports as much as you know she could be at that time as a, a woman. And um, she went on to be team managers and different things for our team. My dad coached uh, and then my brother played. So for as long as I can remember, I, I just had a passion for the game. And I think they saw that in me fairly early. Um, so it wasn't something that seemed in my mind to develop. It was just there. Hockey Night in Canada was a thing on weekends. And my dad built the outdoor rink in the backyard. And all I wanted to do was play hockey. Did you have any specific role models at that time? Because there weren't a lot of women. Like you were one of the first, right? So who did you look up to back then? Well, you know, obviously there was more before me, but there was no visibility to those women. Um, right. So growing up, I loved Wayne Gretzky. You know, I hoped one day I would uh, play in the NHL and win Stanley Cups. And um, the cool thing, though, I think looking back on it now was realizing that, you know, my parents and uh, my close support network, nobody ever told me that that wasn't possible or they didn't direct me to something else because they thought, you know, well, maybe that's great. You like hockey, but maybe you should play soccer. More girls play soccer, more girls play basketball or ringette for that matter. Um, you know, no one, no one sort of burst that bubble for me at a young age, which I think now looking back was so powerful. You know, they, they supported me, they encouraged me, they could see that passion I had and they allowed me to follow it. That is super cool. Um, you were part of the uh, the Beijing Olympic jersey reveal earlier this week. What, what were your thoughts on the look? Did you like the Did you like the, the look of the unis? I did. Um, you know, the first time you see one, there's always sort of I, I guess you're a little unsure because you have in your mind what you've seen in the past, and for me, like what I've worn before. But the opportunity to be a part of that reveal was really cool. And of course, with Tessa, a great friend and former teammate, we had some fun with it. But the more and more I look at it, um, I do. I, I really like it. Um, you know, obviously, I think some people think you can go really off the wall and do some crazy design. But at the end of the day, it's it's hockey. It's Canada. It's simple. It's sleek. It's powerful. Um, and I think they captured that. Absolutely. Simple, sleek and powerful. I love the descriptors. <laughs> um, uh, talking about the Olympics, so you played in five Olympics. Uh, the first one being Nagano. So what do you remember most? 
about Nagano? Good and bad. What, 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 what were the most the, the most kind of obvious uh, memories from those uh, from from those Olympic games? Well, I think the first one was that because it was the first time women's hockey was in the Olympics. Whether you were a 19-year-old rookie like myself or a 39-year-old veteran like France Saint Louis, we were all kind of rookies. Nobody knew what to expect. Nobody had experience when it came to this. Um, the ability for us to be professional athletes for the first time in the sense that we could train together every single day. We, we centralized in Calgary. We spent the eight months leading up to the games. Um, you know, that was unique to all of us. And what an opportunity to be able to just play hockey full time. That was the first time any of us could do that. Uh, the games themselves were spectacular. I mean, I fond, fond memories of the opening ceremonies. You know, the first time you walk into the stadium, uh, it never gets old, by the way. You know, I had a chance to do it five times, but that that moment is the moment you walk in and you realize you've like your dream is real. It's become a reality. You're, you're an Olympian and that never goes away, regardless of what happens in your competition. You're an Olympian and that's your dream come true at that moment. Uh, to walk in as part of a bigger team, not just women's hockey, but as part of Team Canada was incredibly special. And then, of course, the tournament itself, um, you know, ho the hockey's hockey. And, and that's the way I always tried to look at it, that there may be more eyeballs on it. There may be more people um, focusing on it and talking about it. But at the end of the day, it's you're playing the same teams. You're playing the same game you've played since you were six years old. So trying to to manage those expectations. But um, definitely a huge disappointment, the result. Uh, we were heavily favored to win a gold medal there, and Canada had never lost in international competition. But much like today, Canada and the U.S. were so evenly matched, um, even back in 1998. And so we lost that game. But looking back on it now, I think it, it thankfully fueled me and, and many of my teammates for a long time. Um, you know, you have that feeling of another flag being raised and hearing another anthem and um, we never wanted to go back there again. So you, you never lost that, how you felt when that happened. And I tried to carry that with me throughout my career. We had Haley, Haley Wickenheiser on our pod a few weeks ago, and she talked about that loss too, just how crushing it was. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it was similar for you. Like it took her a while to get over it. Yeah. There's this, you know, heavy feeling of, you know, that you've disappointed so many people, you know, you, you, obviously yourself and your teammates are devastated, but then you feel as though you've let down, you know, your friends and your family and all that have supported you in the country. And you come home and people don't really know how to uh, talk to you about it. And hockey is different than some sports, you know, winning a silver medal in other sports is different than losing the gold medal in hockey. But, you know, you come back and people kind of like, well, you know, good, good try. And no, you guys did your best. <laughs> and it's sort of like this awkward, you know, they're not really saying congratulations. And, um, so yeah, it hurt for a long time. Um, but I do think over time, like most things, you find some perspective in it and, um, look back on would we have changed training along the way? I don't think so. You know, maybe some decisions along the way, but those are always, you know, the case. And, and then that perspective, you know, you carry with you beyond that. The rivalry with the U.S., I mean, you lived it for so many years. Can you explain uh, why it's intense as it is and how it's how it's grown over the years? Yeah, I mean, we, we talk all the time. I think it's the best rivalry in sports because of this intensity and this intense rivalry that's existed really since well before 1998, even um, before it was an Olympic sport. Um, it's as heated as an intense as, as we all hear about. Um, you know, I think... 
it's it's evolved a little bit, not the intensity, but in the sense that back in you know the earlier days in 1998, um, 2002, not as many players knew each other. Um, not as many players were playing college hockey together. Not as many opportunities to cross paths and and that created a bit of, you know, if you don't know someone, maybe you don't like them. Um, but now more right. and more players have played college, um, been teammates with one another. And then you sort of get to the point where it's like, you know, well, they're OK. I don't know about the rest of them. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a, an immense level of respect between the groups. And uh, to your point about why the rivalry, I mean, these are the best women in the world at what they do. And I think they both. Canada and the U.S. carry this responsibility of growing the game. They're continually pushing it. Um, they're the best athletes. They're getting stronger. They're getting faster. Every time they hit the ice, people are watching women's hockey for the very first time. So you, there's no nights off, right? You never want someone to leave an, an arena and say, well, women's hockey isn't that good. So the female players carry that all the time. And no better example than that of, you know, Kendall Coyne at the All-Star Weekend and amazing her skate and her time. But when you put into perspective the weight and the pressure that was on her, had she lost an edge and fallen down, many would have said, see, I told you, yeah. the women can't compete. Um, had she, you know, been a second slower, same thing. So with the weight of, of our sport on her shoulder to skate like that, that's that's the impressive thing. And so that level of respect amongst the players is is there absolutely, despite the intensity and um, again, no better shown with the PWHPA and that we've got the best players in the world at the table together with a united voice fighting for the future. Which is where I want to go next. You make a great point that every time the women are playing, you are selling, you're trying to sell your sport, your game every single time you're on the ice. And you um, you were the interim commissioner of the CWHL when it shut down in 2019. You were part of the group that sort of had to deliver the message to the GM and the league. What was that buildup like? What was that day for you like when you had to basically shut the league down? Yeah, horrible. I mean, that was probably the worst day, you know, of my career outside of on the ice, like maybe losing a Nagano would, would mimic that. But I think the idea that you're delivering this terrible news to friends, teammates, people you respect, people that care so much, um, it was it was a real challenge. and. Um, you know, it's, it was just, it was tough. Um, but I, I tried to remain positive and look at the future that um, those difficult conversations and difficult decisions had to be made. And in order for change, real change to happen, you know, you go through the, the muck of it sometimes. And um, that certainly was part of it. Um, and, you know, I hope we're in a much better place now, you know, because we had to make those hard decisions. We're not there yet. But, um, you know, it, it has changed some perspectives, I think. Right. So now you're the, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the operations consultant, right, for the PWHPA. So where are things at right now? Like, what, what is your vision for where the women's game should be? And, and where are you in the process to try and to be, I guess, getting that professional league going again? Yeah. Well, the simple answer to the, the, the vision, the mission is that, we want to help create a women's professional hockey league that would mimic a professional league of any sport where, you know, women get paid respectfully. We say a living wage. I mean, we can all debate what that is, but a living wage, um, health benefits, uh, especially as we look at our American players, that's critical. Um, we talk about infrastructure, resources, 
professional staffing, you know, the environment that surrounds the athlete so they can perform. And finally, like the long-term sustainability of something, um, you know, looking at that financial modeling and, and how you build that. So that's a long-term vision. I think when we look back at, you know, from the CWHL ending to where we are, we've had a lot of huge, huge wins. You know, this, this players association formed in May of 2019 with a number of players, Canadians and Americans got together at the world championships and said, okay, enough is enough. We've got to create a united voice, push towards a better future for our sport. They had nothing at that time except the players. Um, and in that, since then, you know, we've gone on to third year of the secret dream gap tour. We've created cash prize pots for our athletes. We've increased our sponsorship significantly uh, well ahead of where the CWHL was two years ago without the infrastructure of a league. Um, we've had numerous NHL club partnerships. So there's been so many, you know, successes along the way, but until we're there at that league, it's, uh, it's challenging. So, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of work right now. We've got our heads down. We try not to, to respond, you know, to, to every bit of noise that's out there and just say, Correct. we're doing work. Uh, we've got the right people that are really passionate about this, that are industry leaders that are helping us try to, you know, really clarify what that model looks like and how we can show to people that it would be sustainable. And at this point we're we're talking to everyone and anyone that wants to be a part of that kind of future for the women's sport. Um, what we don't want to do is, is just, you know, accept what currently exists and say that's good enough because we think there's more out there for, for women's hockey players and women's sport. And when we look at the success of the WNBA and the NWSL, um, we think there's more out there. Great models. Um, I think it's so important to have that long-term vision defined. Obviously, that's the first step is defining what that vision looks like. Uh, what are the main hurdles now? Obviously, there's a lot of them. What do you envision as the biggest obstacles to attaining that long-term vision? Well, like I said, we've put our head down and we've been doing a ton of work on the foundation of what this could look like. Um, and, you know, anybody that potentially would invest in something like this, they're going to say, tell us why, show us why. Let's see what I'm investing in and, you know, what's the long-term return on this. Um, we all know it's not a short, a short play or a short-term play okay. here. So we're trying to pull all that together. And then I think, you know, I, I guess the next challenge would be, you know, who wants to be a part of this, how, who are going to be the people that would invest in it. Um, and again, we're, we're open to anyone who wants to be a part of this, but we're just trying to do the work so that we can clearly say, this is a model that we believe could work in the long-term, could be sustainable, could provide for the players what we would expect of any professional sports league. Do you think partnering up with the NHL is the answer? Is that one of the options that you're still looking at? Yeah, I mean, we've always said since the beginning that, you know, the NHL would give this the best opportunity to succeed in the sense that it's already got the built-in infrastructure. And, um, you know, it's, I don't think that it would fail with that behind it, but much like every other business, they have, we want them to make a decision on this because it's the right business decision. It's good for their game. It's good for the long-term viability of the sport. It's good for, uh, bringing new fans to the game, making hockey more inclusive. Um, so we're doing the work to prove that. And, uh, you know, I think we hope that the NHL will play a part in the future of women's professional hockey. We certainly have great relationships with the NHL clubs and we hope they'll be a part of it. Um, but, you know, I, th I think 
like I said, it's on us to, to do this work, to then say, okay, this is, this is the model. This is what it could look like. And this is, this is what the league could look like and how the league, the players could be supported in this. I, it was such a shock when, when that day came around, that, that announcement came out that the league was shutting down. And I, I, you said, there's a lot of noise. I can just imagine the different opinions and, and, you know, stuff going around. So man, I wish you the best um, in, in trying to figure that piece out because it is such a great product, but you're right. You have to have that model in place. Um, going back to your career a little bit though, I, when you said Kendall Coyne, now I can't get that vision of her um, skating around the rink and just thinking <laughs> about the pressure that she was under at that time, because you're right. One, one slipped edge and she's down and that's it. Did you, do you remember moments in your career when you were feeling pressure like that as was it maybe the Olympics or world championships and, and how you dealt with that kind of pressure? Well, I can't say I've ever felt that pressure of like the weight of the sport on me. So <laughs> I would never want to relate it to that. Cause that's totally different. I think the pressure of performing under the intense scrutiny of the Olympic games with those expectations of, you know, gold or nothing when it comes to hockey in Canada, that's something we always carried with us. And, um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think for us and, and the way I looked at it, it meant people cared, right? They care mm-hmm. that you perform well. They care that you bring home a gold medal and hockey's important to Canadians. So that kind of pressure existed in my career. But um, again, I, I just look at, you know, what Kendall had to do there. And I think that that's, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Proudest moment of your career. You have so many, I was listing off all the things you've accomplished. Do you have, is there one that kind of stands out above the rest? Um, gosh, I don't know if there's, I, I, I mean, I guess now I would maybe say the hockey hall of fame induction, um, simply because that pulls all of those incredible moments together. Um, you know, I, the winning gold medals is obviously something I'm very proud of, but there's also the journey and the challenges you face along the way that are critical to that. Um, you know, if you don't win those gold medal games, does it mean your career is not as good? No. So it's, it's, it's about the wins, but it's not about the wins. Um, I think now the work I'm doing is, is really important. Um, and the work that all of the PWHPA is doing, I think that we're going to change the future for many, you know, young girls and, and, you know, young boys, I, I have a son and daughters. Um, but for him to be able to see female athletes on television, he, he doesn't judge, <laughs> you know, he's like, let's watch the basketball games and men it's women. It doesn't matter. And, you know, I think the way this next generation is growing up is a little bit different. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the work that we're all doing with the PWHPA and, and the courageous voices of the women who have stood up and said, no, we can do better. Um, so the hall of fame thing, I think just, it brought together all the people that helped me get there. It celebrated the successes that were the results. And then I think in many ways is sort of, the continued commitment to the game. Right. You had your Jersey raised to the rafters uh, last week in Kingston. What did that mean to you? That was, that was really special. Um, you know, much like the hall of fame idea, you know, it really brings back or an opportunity to reflect on all of those people that were a part of your journey and uh, no one gets to that level by themselves. That's for sure. But, you know, to have minor league hockey coaches there to have, people I played with, to have my family, um, many of the women on the ice I had played against or work with now or played with. And so it was just really special. And, um, you know, anytime you bring the tragedy hip guys out, that's, that's pretty cool too. Um, so really yeah. proud hockey Canada has always, um, 
been such an honor to play for them and for them and the city of Kingston to put on a celebration like that, that was so well done was just, uh, you know, another proud moment for sure. Do you play it all right now? Are you on any, like, like not a rec league, but do you play it all? Or no, no? just just some charity games here and there. Um, but I do also help coach my daughter. My oldest daughter's eight. So she plays, uh, hockey here in, in Leaside and my son also plays, he's six. So I try to help out with their team. So I still get out on the ice a little bit, but don't play as much as I used to for sure. Do you miss playing at all? Like, do you miss that competition? I think when like athletes like you played at such a high level, I can't imagine how difficult or how strange it might be to be so competitive for so long. And then it's just over. Yeah. I I don't miss it as much as I thought I would, you know, as I was nearing retirement, it's sort of like, you know, this is what the only thing I've ever done. Like I would, you know, but then, you know, things change. I had kids and my priority shifted a little bit, the ability for me to still stay in the game. Um, there's so many challenges and, and the work we're doing, you know, right now is challenging. And, um, that definitely fills that, that aspect, I think. Um, but I do, you know, anytime I get on the ice, I was like, oh, this is, this is why I loved it. This is fun, you know? So, um, I hope to get back to playing a bit more, but, um, I still get a chance to see a lot of my teammates. We had a a number of us, uh, in Kingston and, you know, start telling stories and and those are the real moments you miss. Stories. I was going to ask you, do you have any good stories for us that you have (laughs) on the field before? There's gotta be something that went down at the Vancouver Olympics or, or some point that, um, people don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think we, we were telling a lot of stories the other night. A lot of it's around the, you know, we would do boot camps before the Olympic games. So we'd go for four or five weeks together and it would be not a, really an on ice component. It was more the like, let's grind these guys as hard as we can get their training level up. And, and it was just so hard, but those are the moments when, you know, we talked about at one point when one of our teammates, um, you know, just, busted a tire on her bike or something and just took the bike and threw it in the woods and then started running and was like, I can make it. I'll just run. And, and then somebody else getting her on and now they're doubling like on the roads of Newfoundland. And, um, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff where it's just, you face those challenges and you come together as a group and they're not funny at the time, but when you look back, um, they're, they're pretty good. Well, I was going to say, so Tessa Bonham, who you mentioned before, she was here. She visited me in Calgary a few months ago and we went hiking in the mountains mm-hmm. and we decided to walk up this peak called Haling. I don't know if you know this, if you remember this one, but it's this straight up peak, which I was not prepared for. But Tessa basically ran up the mountain and I was dying and not, could not keep up with her, but she was just started saying how, when she was here training, like you guys did so much training in the mountains and there was just, there was no option to stop ever. And I just, the training that you ladies went through and you did, I just, I, I can't imagine. It's just very inspiring. There's no way I could have done it. Yeah. I mean, I, I well, when you get in that environment, you don't have a choice. You just do it. Right. People that are pushing you, but yeah, I mean, some of them are, are memorable. I remember in Calgary doing a workout, we were in season at the time, but running up beside the bobsled track at Windsor. <laughs> So we'd have oh to like goodness. sprint all the way up to the top and it's like, you know, curved oh, all the way up straight up and then yeah. you'd walk down and you'd do it again. And I, I can't remember, I think it was like 16 to 20 of these sprints and like people were passing out at the top and trying to chug Gatorade and, you know, but those, again, those are the moments that you just, you get through. And then once you get through them, 
they, you know, they bring some power to you and some cohesion to the group and um, they're awful at the time, but you get through. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you're right. As much as it is like a physical challenge at the time, I know coaches always say it's about team bonding. And so maybe it, it obviously pays off that way. You had a uh, four Olympic gold medal, so it worked to some degree. So that's good, but I don't envy you uh, rounding up those mountains. Um, we will let you go, Jaina. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with all the work with the women's league. It is super important work. And I think, you know, I can't wait to see where it goes. And I think a lot of people are excited to see where the women's game goes. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to be on. Thank you, Jenna. All right. Another, uh, another hockey legend, uh, man, she is, like we said, doing great work, trying to get this women's game back in the right direction. Um, but I'm just, again, laughing at myself, trying to hike up that mountain. <laughs> and the training, like we heard it with Haley a couple of weeks ago too, just the training and the work that these athletes put in but like I said uh five Olympic gold medals she probably doesn't even want me to say five because I don't even think the silver one counts but four gold medals seven-time world champion hockey hall of fame order of Canada she's done it all it's pretty incredible it is I thought you know what was interesting is and maybe a little ignorant on my side but you think about pressure during a game and the pressure to win and the pressure to be a good teammate and the pressure to but having the pressure of an entire sport on your back I, I and the, the comment she made about you don't want you don't want fans to leave saying women's hockey isn't that good. Yes. Like that is it's, it's not about having an off night. It's not about you know having a bad day. Like if you have the pressure to say that I have to perform at my peak every day, otherwise people will leave the stadium thinking that what I've dedicated my life to isn't that like that's that's a, a tremendous amount of pressure, man. So to hear that articulated in that way was actually pretty cool and kind of eye opening, right? Because you think of pressure in, in certain ways, but that level of pressure is just, I mean. Uh, yeah, it's out of this world. But she's an amazingly strong person, obviously, right? You could tell that the mental fortitude was oh, yeah. pretty serious. Yeah. She is, um, I think she is the right person to be trying to get the Women's League going again. Agreed. So hopefully they can figure that out ASAP. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed uh, for the women. All right. So that is that is it for us. We have to go. Um, I hope Aaron Rodgers' toe hurts him and he loses. <laughs> And that's it. That's all I got. Let's see. You're going to owe me another pumpkin spice latte. I'm, 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 I'm running the bill up on you here. I forget. Are you up by three again? I don't remember. Or four. You're I, think it's, four. I think it's four. I think it's four, four now. Four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have, right. a, I have a list. I have a list somewhere here. So I, I can always reference the, uh, I can always yes. reference the list. I think we're at four have, right now. Nice. I have my, my notes as well. So we can go back. <laughs> but you're right. I think it's four, unfortunately. Okay. Have a great weekend. Have a good weekend. Thanks for joining us, everybody. You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanashevsky. Come on!